Now I will tell you, I'm I, I downloaded a new app to do my to do the recording because the the voice memo app that comes on the phone, iPhone is not the best for transmitting what you've recorded. And so I've I've got another app that I've downloaded that I've also got another use for. Um, Roger has given the warning that he's not going to be the clerk next year. And I'm not sitting down and writing out a whole sermon. I refuse. So I got an app that will not only record, but transcribe. And so and so we're gonna see we're gonna be testing it out here uh, and seeing how that goes and see how what kind of job it does. But if it does what it says it does, I'm gonna be kicked back and Roger's gonna be really mad. <laughs> Wondering why I'm not writing down all this stuff like he's been doing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I will I will warn you. I will forewarn you this morning. Uh, we uh, uh, jump around. Todd's going to be back today, right? Todd Todd been like like focused in on a certain portion of scripture. Uh, is is has been the norm for a little while, and I say that with a little bit of leeway, <laughs> as my wife gives me the uh, the, di- the, uh, the the big eyes there. Um, I want to start us out this morning, uh, and we're going to take just a couple verses of scripture out of the first and the second chapters of the book of Genesis, and that's just to get us started. But I'd like to get to do a title this morning, and the title I'd like to give is "God Made Me That Way." Oh, really? <laughs> and so that's their title this morning. God made me that way. Oh, really? And so, um, and so maybe you may think you know where we're going to go. You probably do, but we're going we're gonna to see where, uh, how this thing goes. But this is the thought that, uh, that had really been pressed upon me uh, this week and as I, as I meditated on it and studied it. And so the first verse I'd like to use comes out of the 27th, uh, or 27th verse of the first chapter of Genesis. And we're all familiar with this. We're not going to be covering any new ground. Most, uh, As Brother Carter said, um, all, just about every sermon or every sermon has been preached. And so, uh, and so we're looking at it today. And we say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, I'd like to go over to the second chapter, and uh, in the seventh verse, and it, said, and it gives us a little more detail about how God created this man. And it says, "...in God and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul." And so that's, uh, that's uh, those two verses I would like to stop right there and say, so we see this individual that God's created here at the, be- at, at the, be- at the dawn of creation. And, and he is perfect. He is perfect in every way. He is upright before the Lord. The Lord comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day in his presence, and he looks upon the presence of the Lord, and he doesn't die. Imagine that. To look upon the presence of the Lord and not die. And juxtapose that with what God told Moses up on Mount Sinai when he said, no man can look upon me except he die. And he said, but here's what I'll do. I'll 
I'll cover your eyes, and as I pass by, you can look at me, look at my back. But no man can look into God's face and live. Adam did. Adam looked at God's face and lived. I believe that. The way he was created, he did. When he was in the garden, he did. God would come walking in the cool of the day, whether it was in the morning or the evening. He'd come walking in the cool of the day. And and we find him there after Adam has eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He still comes walking in the cool of the day. And he calls out to Adam. Because Adam's sin has now entered into his life. And God has not removed himself from Adam. God's doing what he's always done. He's coming to Adam, walking in the cool of the day. But because of the sin that Adam now has, he has hidden himself from the Lord. He separated himself from the Lord. Now, I'd like, like us to remember that. I'd like us to turn over to Luke chapter, over to the book of Luke. We're going to go to Luke chapter, do, 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 I think chapter 2. Yeah, Luke chapter 2. No, Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 35. Now, before we do that, I'd like to read you a, a, a little portion out of the textbook that I'm using for... Uh, for, uh, for, the, for my masters. I'd like to read you a sentence that's in this book because the way I read this sentence, I was kind of like, wait a minute, I'm kind of confused. And so I, I made some notes over this and this, here's the sentence. In the case of Christ, there was human parentage. I don't think anybody would argue that. He had human parentage. Mary and Joseph, Right? Then he says this, but the Holy Spirit overshadowed the event ensuring a sinless Christ. Now, I agree that that happened, and we're going to read about that. We're going to read about that. Here's here's what I'd like to point out, just a little bit. is I think you could take a little bit of an insinuation from that and say that the Holy Spirit overshadowed him during the entirety while he was growing up, even though he had human parents. Now, here's where I would take a little bit of umbrage with that. Let's go ahead and let's read the 35th verse of, uh, of the first chapter of the book of Luke. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, that's Mary that it's going to overshadow. Right? Mary that the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow. Therefore also, that thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, here's the thing. I believe the overshadowing took place only once, and that was at the day that Christ was conceived in Mary's womb. Okay? Now, he had human parents, yes. Whether he's in the womb 
or whether he's a little child born or whether he's a 12-year-old child sitting in the temple in Jerusalem teaching as one with authority. He is God incarnate. There was never a point in his life where he was not the incarnate God. He was not conceived by the seed of man. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. And so the argument is, was Jesus peccable or impeccable? Was he capable of sin or was he incapable of sin? Well, of course you've got to argue that the fleshly side, of course, is capable of sin. But because the spiritual side was God, I would argue he's impeccable and incapable of sin. And you say, well, he had to have... He had, to have, no, he had to have an understanding of what we went through. And that's what he gained. And so I don't think it was a, a, a period where the Holy Ghost overshadowed him for 30 years before he presented himself there at the baptism of, Je- of John and then the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and, and, and lights on him uh, and, and then it's manifested to Israel who the Savior is because that's what John's whole purpose was, was to make manifest the Son of God. Now you may not agree with all that. You may say, well, he had human parents. So, I mean, you had a chance. Sins passed down from the fathers to the children. He didn't have an earthly father. So that sin of Adam wasn't passed down to him. At least that's my, that's my belief. You don't have to agree with me. That's my belief. That's why I say it overshadowed Mary once. It was for the purpose of conception. Once he was conceived in the womb, the Son of God is in the world. And you can say, well, I don't know that I agree with you about that. Well, I'll tell you this. John the Baptist agreed with it while he was still in Elizabeth's womb because the babe leapt just at hearing the voice of Mary. He knew who he was even though he didn't know him. As a babe in the womb, he leapt and he recognized who had just entered into his presence. But John manifestly declares and says, I know him not before he appeared before him at the day of bat- when he was baptized. And he repeated it and he said, and I know him not. Meaning this isn't some conspiracy where I've known this guy my whole life and all of a sudden he presents himself and I proclaim him to be the, 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 the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No, he says, I didn't know who he was till he showed up. Now there's a now there's a a, a teaching that goes around the world now. And, and I've, I've touched on this before. There's a teaching that goes that's in the world now. It says we're all children of God. Really? And in this teaching, uh, whatever fault and flaw and imperfection, whatever sin may be in a person's life, uh, it is attributed to God. And you say, well, that seems a little stout. Well, let's just 
let's just stop and let's think about this. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Isaiah says, we all, have been, uh, all of us are like sheep which have been led astray. And so we know that uh, there is none that doeth good. And, there's, and, and so uh, we know these things, uh, that, uh, that in the body of man, that everybody has partaken of the fruit of Adam. The sin of Adam has been passed down to each and every one of us, beginning with, Abel, with Cain, I think, with Cain, going to Abel, then on to Seth, and right on down the line. Noah had that sin, even though he was a preacher of righteousness and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. His children had that sin, so that means that sin wasn't eradicated at the flood. If it had been eradicated, no one would have survived. But because of the grace of God and the goodness of God, there were eight people that survived. I believe it was eight that survived the flood. And so let's think about this. God made me that way. Really. Let's go over the, the book of Galatians. Let's go to Galatians. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Meaning there's not one person in the family of man that has not partaken in this. Now, I hope you understand there is a difference between Jesus and the family of men. Because of the, by, by virtue of his birth and not having been born of the seed of man, he doesn't partake in the sin of man. That's why Satan fought so hard to try to get him to sin. Because if he kept, if he kept the law, if he if he if he walked perfectly and uprightly before God all the days of his life, not 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 out of coercion, but sincerely and honestly walked upright before God all the days of his life, then the power of Satan would be broken, and the way in which man could be redeemed unto God would be put in place because there would have been a suitable sacrifice for sin because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. If you're here today and you're saved, it's not because of anything you did, it's because of the shedding of Christ's blood on Calvary's cross in which he was so bludgeoned and so beaten he was unrecognizable. And to look upon him on that cross, there's nothing that would be uh, desired. Nothing. But he was sinless. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. One of the thieves said, we deserve this condemnation. But he does not deserve this condemnation. I'm paraphrasing that, obviously. And so there's this there's this thought, and, and we saw it come to come come to light. Uh, we saw it come to light over the, the course of uh, recent rulings from the from our venerable Supreme Court, right? Uh, a body that I believe renders more wrong decisions than right decisions, but nevertheless, they're still a, an equal part of the uh, of the uh, of the of the. Uh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> There's still a, a co-equal part of the government. 
Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, as it pertains to some of that, says this. Oh, that's right. We're not going to hold back. We're going to say, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Hey, folks, if we're in the church and we don't want to talk about these things and we want to pretend they don't exist and we want to say that the Bible doesn't speak against it, then close the doors. Close the doors. There's no point in being here. We're no longer going to advocate for the truth of God. We're going to actually advocate for a lie. And it would be better not to assemble together as the body of Christ if we're going to do that. Now, everybody got uncomfortable in here, didn't they? (laughs) I felt it. Some people did. That's just a fact, folks. If we go back and we look, he created them male and female. Male and female. There's a couple of lessons that you learn in there, don't you? Number one, that God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. And not one man and a few women, but one man and... And one woman. Now, there's some things that you can you can uh, gauge as we go back and look. Uh, and we go back and look for just a moment, uh, and we look at the end of chapter 22, uh, and it says, "And at and the rib which the which the Lord God ta- had taken from the man." And we can have some conversation about that. You you probably wouldn't agree with what I believe as it pertains to that, but that's okay. I'm not going to get into that right here. And it says, "In the rib which uh, the Lord God had taken from the man, um, made he a woman, and he brought her forth unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his, mo- his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. No shame. Because it's a husband and his wife. Now I'd like to address, just really briefly, God made me this way. That is a lie. I'd like to prove that to you. Over in Luke chapter 3, as we read the genealogy of Christ. Now there's two different genealogies of Christ given in the New Testament. There's the one that Matthew gives, and if you follow the one that Matthew gives, it goes through the kingly line. Because the purpose of Matthew is to show that Jesus Christ is the kingly Messiah that the Jews had been that the Israelites or the Jews had been waiting for. So it goes through all the kings of Judea. Now, Luke's genealogy is different there has and they're going to and they diverge at one place and it's two brothers where they diverge i don't know if you've ever looked into this but this is where they diverge if you if we get into it and we start looking here 
You're going to read in the 31st verse. Okay, let's start in the 31st verse. It says, which was the son of, of Melea, which was the son of uh, Minan, which was the son of, Matath- of, of Matatha. Now listen, if you go and read, if you go and read Matthew's genealogy, Matthew runs through David. Because he's, he's showing that Christ is the kingly Messiah. Luke is going to run through his brother, Nathan. Listen. Which was the son of Nathan? Sorry, he runs through Solomon. Matthew runs through Solomon. Luke runs through Nathan. Right? I had my names mixed up there. But which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David? David's where they converge back. And you say, well, what in the world's happening here? Matthew's saying this is the kingly Messiah. I believe what, what Luke is saying is this is the prophetic son of God. Because Nathan was a prophet. He's priest, he's prophet, and he's king. He's also sinless. Now you follow it through from David. And it goes Jesse, and it goes Obad, and Boaz, and and, and Salmon, and Nason. And you continue on down. And now I want us to go ahead and fast forward to the 38th verse. It says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth. Which was the son of Adam? Which was the son of God? God only ever had two sons. One of them did not obey his father. One of them did. Both of them were created sinless. Without fault. Without flaw. Everyone else is the son of another man. So when you stand and you hear somebody make the statement, God made me this way. Whatever their sin is, right? Whether if it's the sin that we read about in Leviticus, the homosexuality, whatever the sin is. Well, God made me this way. The common defense or argument against that that I've heard throughout my life has been this. That's not true because God doesn't make mistakes. I'd like to tell you something. I believe that is wrong. Not that I believe God makes mistakes because he doesn't. Here's where I believe it's because they're not the children of God. See, everybody believes, oh, we're all the children of God. You'll hear this uttered on the right. You'll hear this uttered on the left. We're all the children of God. No, we're not. You are. If you believe that, rip out the third chapter of John because you don't need a new birth. You don't need it.
it's worse than saying that God made a mistake. It's saying God's the author of sin. It's ascribing sin to God. There couldn't be a higher form of blasphemy, in my opinion, than to say that God is the author of sin. I'm not getting down with that. You may disagree with me, but I'm not getting down with that. And I'm tired, I'm personally tired of hearing this argument made and people getting up and saying, well, God made us all that way. No, He didn't. He only made two people. He made Adam, and when He made him, when He created him, He was perfect and upright. Adam, Adam was the one who chose to eat of the fruit of the tree. The man was not deceived. The woman was deceived. Adam knew exactly where that fruit came from, and he loved that woman, and he looked at her, and he said, regardless of where you got it, I'm going to eat it. Because he knew where she got it. He willingly, voluntarily ate of that fruit of that tree and disobeyed God's commandment. Jesus never, never, ever disobeyed God's commandment. He said, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all has been accomplished. You know what? It all got accomplished, didn't it? When he hung on the cross and he said, it's finished. <laughs> it's finished. I've ran my course, I've run my life, and I've finished it, Lord, and I've kept every commandment that you laid on my shoulders. And now we have a way whereby we can be reconciled. Don't let people tell you God's the author of sin because he's not. You may not have ever thought about it that way, but that, that just kind of dawned, that's been a thought that's been on my mind. Let me finish up with this verse in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. That's what they say. When they say, God made me this way. They say, God's, God's the one that made me this way, so I'm not doing anything wrong because I'm just doing what God had for me to do. Let my man say when he is tempted, he's tempted of God. For God, cannot be, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Folks, there's only been one perfect person that ever lived in the history of the world, and it's his name that we gather under every time that we assemble. Because he was the only one who was deemed worthy to be the sacrificial lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist proclaimed. As he recognized unknowingly in Elizabeth's womb when hearing Mary's voice and he leaps in the womb. But he didn't know him yet. You can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. If you're here today and you're lost, I hope you were listening to Sister Matlock's testimony because that's as true as it gets, folks. You better know him before he comes back because he's coming back. 
He ain't coming back to establish an earthly kingdom. He's, he, I was having a conversation with a guy uh, the other day, and, and he was like, well, uh, he's, he hit me with this. He said, well, when he comes back, he's just going to be in the air, and so it doesn't count. And I was like, really? I was like, because I thought Satan was called the prince of the power of the air of this world. So whether he touches ground or not is irrelevant, because if he enters the realm of this world, he's entered the realm of Satan. And he, he just looked at me, and he was like, uh... I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> All he could look look at me, and he eventually conceded the point and said, "Yeah, you're right. It's not about being right. It's about advocating for the truth of the Word of God. That's what we should be doing. When we study it, we should be praying, God, show me the truth in Your Word, and help me to teach somebody. Help me to show somebody." Folks, we live in a world that needs to be taught the truth over again from scratch because so much of the world has laid, has, has abandoned it. Let us do that. Let us study. Let us be advocates and ambassadors for Christ like we're supposed to be. Being born again children of God. Doing what He's called us to do. That's my message this morning. I hope you got something out of it. I pray it was of, uh, of, of benefit.